Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. The Iranian regime has been cracking down on protesters those that have been out in the streets after the death of an Iranian woman at the hands of the morality police. It's not the first time something like this has happened, but what is different this time? Is this just one more round of minor protests followed by a crushing rebuke at the hands of the regime? Or is this the beginning of a new kind of revolution and a downfall of the regime? Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. We're really thrilled to have joining us on the program today, Reza Aslan, who's a leading expert in world religions in the Middle East and uh, Iran in particular. Uh, he's also an internationally renowned writer, professor, uh, Emmy and Peabody-nominated producer. Uh, some of his books you'll be familiar with, n- number one New York Times bestseller, Zealot, The Life and Times of Jesus of Nazareth, over a million copies sold there, uh, and just an extraordinary thinker and writer. He has a new book out. Uh, that uh, we're going to talk about here in just a minute as well. But uh, Reza, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, welcome to the state of Utah. Thanks, Boyd. I'm very much excited to uh, have this conversation, and I love Utah. It's one of my absolute favorite places in America. Uh, well, wonderful. I know you're uh, meeting with World Trade Center Utah and our good friends over there, and obviously there's a lot of focus and a lot of interest right now in terms of what's going on in Iran, uh, in terms of protests and revolution. And Give us some uh, of your perspective in terms of what is going on there just beyond the headlines. Well, I got to tell you, I've been watching Iran for the last 40 years. I lived through the 1979 revolution as a kid, and I've never seen anything like this before. This, I think, is the first real true threat to the stability of the uh, regime in Iran, because it's being led by these fearless women, Mm. children, some of them, teenagers, who have never really known uh, a life outside of the restrictions of the Islamic Republic and who have simply had enough. And the the anger and the rage and the frustration that I'm seeing on the streets, the way that they have managed to build this very large coalition. I mean, yes, this started as a young feminist movement, but now we're seeing men and older people, conservatives. I've seen images of women dressed head to toe in the sort of traditional conservative Islamic chador Mm -hmm. standing next to 
a woman wearing jeans and a T-shirt and no veil, both of them chanting down with the regime, down with the government. It's extraordinary what's happening right now in Iran. Wow. And and it is such an interesting thing, uh, not just in Iran, but around the world. There is, you know, whether it's the uh, the women of Ukraine or the mothers in Russia, uh, the women, of course, of Afghanistan. Uh, I think it was the first lady of Ukraine who said that the that freedom uh, is going to have a very feminine face uh, in so many of these places. And, and so as you've watched that and, and lived that and experienced that uh, in your own life, what is it about this time uh, that seems to be different beyond the fact that it's the women rising up. Uh, what else is kind of bubbling underneath? Well, first of all, you're absolutely right about the role of women. I mean, I guess, you know, we've given men plenty of time to screw everything up. So <laughs> why not? Let's rely on the women to come and clean up the mess that, that uh, men have made. In Iran, of course, women have always been in the forefront of the revolution there. Some of your listeners may know there have been three major revolutions over the 20th century in 1906, 1953, and in 1979. And in each one of them, women have played pivotal roles, sometimes standing at the very forefront of the revolution uh, in order to achieve their, their aims. I think what's truly extraordinary right now about what's happening in Iran is that it seems to be truly a national protest. Some of your listeners may remember 2009 and the so-called Green Movement. And that, that movement never had the opportunity to rise above the sort of you know, young, middle-class, urbanized youth that had come out onto the streets to decry a stolen election. This, while it is very young and while it is urbanized, has managed to really capture the the imaginations of the entire country. We're seeing the majority of provinces in Iran experience uprising. Some very conservative cities in Iran, including the city of Qom, uh, Qom, you have to understand, is like the it's like the Vatican mm. of Iran. It's the it's the city where all of the clergy who run the country um, actually live, and we're seeing massive uprisings in that city. People calling for uh, the the downfall of the supreme leader in the supreme leader's own backyard. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Wow, that's, uh, that is stunning. Yeah, give us some, some context real quick in terms of how this plays out. Obviously, here in the United States, uh, the focus uh, has been very heavy on uh, nuclear weapons on one hand and this uh, emerging relationship uh, with Russia, uh, particularly as it relates to yeah. sending drones over there to Russia. How is that playing out and how does that fit into this context? 
the nuclear nonproliferation negotiations that have been underway with the Biden administration have been put on pause. And that's understandable, regardless of how you feel about those negotiations ever since uh, President Obama uh, began pursuing them, whether you think it's a good idea or a bad idea. I think everyone agrees that at this moment right now, there's no room for those kinds of conversations while there are children being killed on the streets of Iran. The role, the pernicious role that Iran has played in selling drones to the Russians, uh, these, these drones which have just indiscriminately been bombing civilian targets in Ukraine, is an example of the problem that Iran poses on the global stage and why it is that the United States and the Iranian government have been at odds for so many years, decades, uh, in that part of the world. But I think right now the focus of the Biden administration and hopefully the focus of the United Nations, which is yet to really come out and stand, make a big, strong stand against the horrific acts of violence that are being perpetrated by the Iranian regime, has to be on the people on the streets. I mean, we have reports now of teenagers who are being rounded up in sort of re-education camps. When, when that's what's happening on the streets, everything else takes a back seat, I think. And we need to have a robust international call for investigations for these human rights violations that are happening out in the open. In fact, the, the, the regime isn't even hiding these things. It was the regime itself that announced that it is taking children into what they refer to as psychological camps. That's an explicit admission of an, a violation of international law, and it requires a robust response from the international community. Yeah, I think that uh, international community response uh, has been the thing that's been sort of deafening in, in its silence uh, that needs to be very clear, very unequivocal. Uh, in terms of where things are and and where things actually stand, anything else you're watching for in the in the days ahead? I guess you know we're all waiting for the next flashpoint, if you will. It is important to understand that there were very uh, robust protests and demonstrations, sometimes violent, that had been taking place for months before the death of. Uh, this Iranian Kurdish woman, Masa Amini, at the hands of Iran's dreaded morality police. But that death galvanized this sort of sporadic protest and kind of gave it a mission, a purpose, a face, if you will. And now I think a lot of us Iran watchers are waiting to see, well, what's the next thing that's going to, to do that? It could very well be the death of the supreme leader. Um, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, who is the sort of the tyrant of Iran is very sick. He has cancer. It's possible that he could die at any moment. A lot of us have been on death watch for quite some time now. If that happens, if he dies and there is a question of succession, who will be the next supreme leader? I think that mm. in the midst of the revolutions that we're seeing now could very well be the sort of the final straw, if you will, the thing that really pushes this revolution to its ultimate goal, which is the downfall of the regime. So many fascinating storylines there and so many things for us to think through. The impact uh, here at home and abroad is significant. We're going to stay with the conversation just a little bit longer. We'll step aside for a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to continue my conversation. And Reza is going to share with us uh, his new book, which is a story of patriotism uh, that you have not heard, you may not know, but you want to learn from. We'll be right back. 
Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. If you're just uh, joining us, uh, we have Reza Aslan on with us, expert uh, on Iran and so many other things, a best-selling author and uh, such great perspective into what is happening in Iran and uh, around that region. And uh, I want to shift gears now. Uh, you've got a, a new book out that I think is equally fascinating in its depth and its perspective. It's, it's titled An American Martyr in Persia, The Epic Life and Tragic Death of Howard Baskerville. Tell us about that. Howard Baskerville was a 22-year-old Christian missionary from Nebraska who in 1907 was assigned to the uh, city of Tabriz in Iran, what was then known as Persia. And he was there to teach and preach the gospel. And unbeknownst to him, he arrived in the midst of the very first revolution in Iran. I kind of mentioned it earlier, the 1906 revolution. This was known as the Constitutional Revolution. It was actually the first democratic revolution in the Middle East. And what had happened is about a year earlier, a, a large group of young zealous revolutionaries backed by interests uh, within the merchant class and by the clergy themselves had demanded the writing of a constitution that would allow for um, the you know freedom of speech, freedom of conscience, that would really lay out the rights and privileges of all citizens in the country, and the creation of an elected parliament that would not only be uh, able to um, pass legislation, but also, more importantly, curb the unchecked powers of the country's king, the Shah. At the end, end of 1906, December of 1906, they, they achieved all those goals. The Shah gave in and signed the Constitution. But then that Shah died three days later, and his son took the throne and immediately declared war on the constitutionalists. And Tabriz, the city in the northwest frontier, uh, became the kind of last bastion of the revolutionaries. And this is when Howard Baskerville suddenly arrives. He's there to teach English and history and to preach the gospel, but he can't help but begin to slowly and gradually fall into the influence of these revolutionaries. I mean, he's, this is a man who has kind of stepped into a history book, right? He is someone who studied the American Revolution uh, at Princeton, where he studied with Woodrow Wilson, no less. And then he shows up you know, to Tabriz, and he's living a revolution. And it takes some time, I should say, but eventually he gives up his teaching position, his missionary post, and even abandons his American citizenship and fights alongside the Iranians for the freedom of Iran and ends up dying um, in that cause, becomes a hero and a martyr for generations. His tomb in Tabriz had been a pilgrimage site. He, He sort of considered... Uh, a, a kind of American Lafayette, if you will, in, in Iran, the foreigner who fought for the freedom of Iranians. And this book, the first biography of him, is an attempt to kind of, you know, resurrect his name, which yeah. has been really lost uh, in America and in Iran, frankly. Uh, that's so important. That's It's why we love history, uh, because it is just an unending river of ideas and principles to be explored through usually flawed and amazingly human individuals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Howard Baskerville was no exception to that. The the American Lafayette there, uh, and I love that uh, visual of uh, him standing, fighting for freedom there. And one of the things that you raise uh, as part of all of this, because history is important, uh, I, I do believe that the things that we ignore or forget are are 
children will never know and what our children don't know, our mm-hmm. grandchildren won't possess. And I think one of the things that you frame uh, in your book is what what is that responsibility to freedom? What, what do we all have yeah. to do and whose freedom are we responsible for? I mean, you hear I mean, the story of this kid, because that's what Howard Baskerville was. He arrived in Iran at 22 and died at 24. This kid who willingly sacrificed himself in order to promote the freedom of, of a nation that wasn't his, a people that wasn't his. You know, he, he, he was an American Christian fighting alongside Persian Muslims, and he truly and honestly believed that freedom democracy, the right to be able to say and think what you want, that these are universal ideals. He thought that they were God-given ideals, and he truly believed that it was his duty, not just as an American but as a Christian, to put his life uh, in jeopardy to sustain those ideals for other people. And, man, if there isn't a lesson there for us today, I mean— You know, you look at the world right now, and democracy is in retreat everywhere, especially here in the United States. Um, You look at a world that is becoming uh, more and more closed off, more tribal, and the example, the guide that Baskerville gives is one that is resonant today. You know, not long before he died, the American consul general uh, in Iran uh, went to Howard Baskerville uh, and try to talk him out of this. He said to him very clearly, it's time for you to go home. This is not your fight. These are not your people. This is not your country. It has nothing to do with you. And Baskerville very famously replied, the only difference between me and these people is the country of my birth, and that is not a very big difference. That mm. message is one that we could really use a reminder of today. Oh, I love that. That is so, so powerful. The book is called An American Martyr in Persia, The Epic Life and Tragic Death of Howard Baskerville. Uh, it is an extraordinary read. It will take you uh, places and spaces that uh, I think are absolutely amazing that we all need a reminder about. Uh, Reza Aslan, uh, of course, is uh, here in Utah today. We'll be with our friends at the World Trade Center Utah, uh, having important discussions uh, about Iran and so many other things. Uh, we so appreciate you joining us. Uh, love the book. People are definitely going to want to check this one out. Uh, we're all history buffs on this show. So uh, this is one of those <laughs> stories that show us what principles do uh, when you believe them and then you actually live them and apply them. Thank you, Boyd. It was my pleasure speaking with you. Such great perspective there, and again, especially as we look at all that's happening in the Middle East and these uh, extraordinary women who are taking to the streets, and uh, and as Reza said, uh, so many of them are young, uh, and they recognize what they're doing. They know uh, that the consequences of their action uh, are, are going to be dire, and yet they're standing together. Uh, I love how he described that it, it's old women and young women, some wearing veils and traditional dress and others wearing T-shirts and jeans, standing side by side, speaking up, speaking out against the regime, standing for freedom. Uh, and that's a, an important reminder. Uh, and I love also uh, this idea uh, from his book. And again, the book is An American Martyr in Persia, 
the epic life and tragic death of Howard Baskerville. Again, it was in 1907, hotbed of a democratic revolution. uh, And this young 22-year-old Howard Baskerville uh, chose to fight for freedom uh, in a country that was not his, uh, with a people that he did not know. uh, But it was that principle. Uh, And I love I love the statement that uh, that the only thing that was different between him and those that he was fighting alongside with was the place of their birth. And he said, that is not a big difference, that the the principles of freedom are the things that really matter most. And so uh, this extraordinary story, uh, again, centered in 1907, uh, really does lead us to important questions that we have to ask ourselves. How seriously, how seriously do we take our ideals to constitutional democracy and this constitutional republic that we live in and whose freedom uh, we need to support? Uh, we all have a role to play. This is a great way to look back and a great way to look ahead at important principles of history and important principles for our future. We'll step aside for bottom of the hour news. Much more to come on Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.